That's going to be a good study, guys. And what I hear is uh, there's going to be, they're going to like do something in Hell's Creek back here. Kind of a real manly kind of a deal. Um, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> did you know that is Hell's Creek that you all drive across every Sunday? I don't know if you realize that or not. Um, pretty cool that we're church by Hell's Creek. That's, that's good. Well, I, um, I recently had a conversation, I think on Memorial Day, with one of the people who work at Lanahaw. She's worked there for quite a few years, so we've had, we've had many conversations, 15 years worth, I'd, I'd say, really. And most of those conversations were over questions I had about plants and trees, because she's kind of a real expert there. But you know, you, you have enough times talking with someone like that, and you, you can't help but talk a bit about life in general. So through the years, there's been a, a, a mixing of plant talk with life talk, that, that kind of a deal. So Memorial Day is pretty late for me to get into Lanaha at the beginning of another year. And so uh, as, as we began talking, I, I, I asked my friend, which I'll, that's the way I'll refer to her, I asked her how the new year had been going at Lanahan. I was surprised. I mean, just kind of really taken back by her answer. Because the first thing she said right out of the box without hesitating is how difficult it's been for them with the change that they've seen in people. I really did. I just said, really? And she said, oh, yeah, really. Uh, People become so unhappy and self-centered and mean. I said, you've seen that much of a shift? And said, oh, it's so much so that we've actually talked about it here at Lanahaw as a staff. And, and, and I, I said, yeah, by any chance, do you have any, uh, any marking point any time when you saw that kind of a trend, things trending that direction? And I, I expected her to say, well, not really, can't really tell, but she, she, she was very exact. She said, yeah, about a year and a half now, seen that shift. And I said, you, can you think of any reason? Have you, have you identified any reason? And, and here's what she said. It was, I, I, it was so good, I, I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Her words. I think it's because people are increasingly leaving God out of their life. And filling it with things. It seems like more all the time, the way it is with so many people is that it's all about them. What they want and when they want it. And the more they're this way, the more unhappy they are. And the meaner they become. It's ironic, isn't it, that you hear this from someone on the western edges, western edge of Omaha, in an area of affluence where people have so much in abundance, where, where on the surface it would, it, would, it would seem like everybody, everybody living out here would have every reason to be happy. No? Every time I have a conversation like the one I had with my friend at Lanaha, it reminds me of the famous statement made by Blaise Pascal when he said this, and I'm sure it's famous, I'm sure you've heard it before. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum 
in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. I, I actually like the longer version of this quote better. Um, he said this, and, and this, this is in a, an apologetic that he wrote called Penseis. He said, he said this, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. Love that. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since his infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Look at that underlying phrase again. That seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. I'd, that's a powerful statement. I was coming back with someone about it this week. And the idea here is that this is somebody that's thinking and saying to themselves, there, there, there's got to be something out there that's going to satisfy me and keep on satisfying me because what I have right now doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. It's this truth that Jesus speaks to in an amazing conversation he had with a woman by the well. And it's what we're looking at in today's passage in John chapter 4. And he, he does it in terms of, of water, a choice between two waters. Water that only leaves you thirsty for more, or water that completely satisfies. And he gives us a, another answer to the question that we're asking in this series the question, who is Jesus Christ? And, and the answer for us today, and, and, and remember this, when I mentioned a while back that, you know, Jesus Christ is, is so infinite that he's just multidimensional. And so what we see about Jesus Christ today is that he's the giver of living water. If you're taking notes, that's what you would want to write down. He's the giver of living water. Or you could actually say it this way. It's coming out of the text. He's the, he's the spring. He's the spring of living water. And the big truth this points us to is that total, total, total satisfaction is found in Jesus. Drink the water he offers and you'll be satisfied forever. Okay, let's, let's dig into these verses. And for two reasons, this is a great section of Scripture. You're going to love it. One, one of those reasons is the simple fact that this conversation even took place between Jesus and this woman. And, and the second reason is what Jesus said. And, and both are connected to who he is. He's the giver of living water. And the truth, the big truth we learned today, total satisfaction is found in him. Total satisfaction. So let's begin with the conversation itself. And what I, what I hope you, you, you'll see this morning is how remarkable it really is. And I've thought a lot about this this last week. You know, how, how can I make this as crystal clear as possible for all of us? And, and so here, here's where understanding the historical background just will, will bring it all to life for us. Make it so real so that we're able to grasp how meaningful it really is for each one of us 
that Jesus would have a conversation like he had with this woman, that it would even happen. Okay? So chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now notice that, the Pharisees heard this. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Last Sunday, Tim mentioned, and boy, I got to tell you, let me just say, um, if you were gone last Sunday, I encourage you to go online and listen to Tim's sermon. Great sermon. Great content. The whole thing. So, encourage you to do that. So last Sunday, Tim mentioned the angst that some of John's disciples were having, that, that more and more people were leaving John to follow Jesus. The whole time they followed John, they, they saw increasing numbers of people coming from everywhere to hear what he said. He, he had everybody's attention. He, he was the man, okay? He was the man back then. He was the man. And so for these guys, it was a big deal for them to be identified as one of his disciples. You know how that is, right? You know, big man on campus kind of a deal, want to be around that kind of a... So, so when things started to shift toward Jesus, they were feeling the loss themselves. But what we learn in this text is they were not the only ones who saw this change, who were watching it. Israel's religious leaders, in particular the Pharisees, were very aware of what was happening. As much as they didn't like John, they disliked Jesus even more. For them, John was the lesser of two evils. And so it's an understatement to say that it didn't make them happy that Jesus was getting all of this attention. As they saw it, this was a huge red flag, and it bothered them. John made an interesting observation in verse 3. I'm going to read it again. He said, when the Lord learned of this, and this is that the Pharisees knew what was going on, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. This is one of those times when you read scripture, and it's always good to do this, to ask yourself questions, and you wonder, what's this all about? Why? What, what is this? Here's the deal. Jesus knows that he's going to be opposed by the religious leaders of Israel. He knows, he knows the tension's only going to escalate over time, and and, and so what he's doing here is managing the timing of it all. He knows, he knows what he's got to do before he dies, and, and he's making sure that he's got the time to do it. It's like he's slowing things down. And that's why he leaves Judea, and he heads back north up to Galilee. It's to slow it all down. Now, here's an observation not to, to miss. And again, this is the background. This is what helps us. This is what's going to make this very crystal clear for each one of us. It's, it's what John wrote in verse 4. This, this statement, he, he, he said this. He said, now he, just one short little sentence. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, depending on who you were back then, this could mean one of two things. It could be, it could just be something that's very obvious. If you're going to get from here to there, if you're going to get from, from Judea that's down here to get up to Galilee up here, you've got to go through Samaria because Samaria is between the two. Just, you could think, oh, it's just 
stating the obvious. Or it's saying what some people thought. Some people thought nobody wants to go through Samaria. If you, if you got to go through Samaria, if you got to come every, anywhere close to the Samaritans, you just, you know, to get up, back up to Galilee or reverse, go down, down into Judea. If that's your only option, you do it as fast as you possibly can. Which begs the question. I'm always asking questions when I read scripture. Begs the question. Well, who wouldn't want to go through Samaria? And the answer is the Pharisees and anybody else that thought like them. Anybody else who, who disliked the Samaritans as much as they did, okay? So, so when they made the same trip that Jesus did, instead of going straight up through Samaria, they took a route where they could just circle around and they could avoid Samaria altogether. It took them a lot longer, but as far as they were concerned, it was worth it because they didn't have to, they didn't have to see, they didn't have to touch, they didn't have to smell, they didn't have to, they didn't have to do anything with the Samaritans. And that was just the way they, they wanted it. So what's all the angst over the Samaritans? Remember the Hatfields and the McCoys and their long-standing, never-ending feud? That, that's what we're talking about here. The, the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans went all the way back to the exile of the Jews to Samaria. And if you're taking notes, you could write this down because you could read about it in, in the Old Testament in, in 2 Kings chapter 17. And what happened was that when the Assyrians took over the, the nation of Israel, the, the Assyrian king removed most of the Jewish people, brought in his own people, and in time, the two groups intermarried, forming a group of people who had a, new, a, a whole new identity. They, they didn't see themselves as Assyrians. They didn't see themselves as, as, uh, as Israelites, as Jewish men and women. They saw themselves as Samaritans. Now, Read uh, the history of, of Israel. Read the Old Testament. And uh, one of the things you'll find out is that after a lot of time had passed, the Assyrian king let the Jewish, some of the Jewish people he had taken into exile, let them return back to Israel. And when they came back, they never accepted the Samaritans as equals. They didn't want anything to do with them, and the Samaritans returned the favor. And like the Hatfields and McCoys, each year passes, and the animosity only grows greater, each side making it worse by what they did to the other. So that's the background, okay? Now here's Jesus. He's got to go from Judea down here and go up to Samaria up here, or, or, or Galilee up here, and he's got Samaria in between. He doesn't take the circuitous route. He doesn't go around. He goes right through Samaria. But, but here's what he does. He stops and he takes a break at a place called Sychar. Now, let me tell you, no serious-minded religious Jewish man or woman, somebody who's scrupulously religious, if, if they had to go through Samaria, they would go as fast as they could. They would not take any kind of a long break. They wouldn't stop and sit and do what Jesus did, which is what we'll see here, okay? He's tired, so he stops to rest. <laughs> Listen, it only gets worse. 
he has a conversation with a Samaritan. He actually speaks to one of them, which the Pharisees would have gone like, yeah, see, we knew he was, knew he was bad. Look at what he's doing. He's talking to those Samaritans. It's even worse, right? He talks to a woman. A man talking to a woman in public, engaging her in conversation, treating her as an equal was not politically acceptable back then. You know the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel? Let me give you an example of what they said about women. It was in one of their prayers. It was a Thanksgiving prayer to God. Ladies, how do you like this, okay? Here's, praise be to God that he's not created me as a Gentile. Praise be God that he created me, not a woman. Praise be God that he's not created me an ignorant man. He put them all on the same level. You know, Gentiles, anybody who's not Jewish, some ignorant guy and women, they were all in the same level. Isn't that nice? Just, doesn't that just make you love the Pharisees? You know, like, man, I like to spend time with those guys, especially ladies, right? Okay, all right, let's go on. Let's see what Jesus, let, let's see what Jesus did. John writes this, verse 5. Love it. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And in parentheses, his disciples had gone into town to buy food, so Jesus is all alone. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then in parentheses explains, for Jews do not associate Samaritans. I got to tell you, I love these verses. Absolutely love them. They show us what's most important to Jesus Christ. And that's his incredible love for every person. He's, He's the giver of living water and he's eager and ready to give it to anybody who will take it. I think this is like the coolest conversation possible between two people. Here's Jesus sitting at this well. He's all by himself. This woman comes along to get water for herself. She sees Jesus sitting there, recognizes that he's Jewish, and and expects him not to say a word to her. In fact, I'm sure she's thinking, he's going to turn away from me in disgust. And he speaks to her. I can almost see her reaction. It would almost be like, no. And once she recovers, she says this, okay? And I'm going to just kind of put it in my own words. Something's not right here. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. And you're asking me for a drink of water. If that don't beat all, you know? I mean, I think that's what she was saying. There's two reasons I love this conversation. One of those reasons is how I sometimes see myself. Listen, everybody, there are times when I look at myself, what I think and what I say and what I do, and I wonder, how can can God possibly love me? I mean, how can he? Anybody else ever ask that question yourself? See, it's so easy. I... I can see Jesus at a well and me coming up to him and him turning away in disgust. Not because I'm half Norwegian and half Swedish. All right? Hey, you know what happened first service? 
every once in a while I do this, I mix my words up. Becky's sitting back in the audience and I say, not because I'm half Norwegian and half Jewish. And Becky's sitting back there going, I didn't know that. You know, I just love it. I wouldn't mind. I'm just saying it was just funny. I just, okay? So that's not the deal, all right? But because I'm a sinner who's done and still does stuff that I'm ashamed of, and I know he knows me inside out. So having read this chapter and knowing this woman's own history, five husbands, and now she's living with a guy. It's like she's an Elizabeth Taylor in the making. And when I see Jesus caring for her and loving her, it gives me confidence that he'll do the same for me. And I am so glad, I am so glad that I can say to you this morning, he'll do exactly the same thing for you no matter what your history is. There is nothing in our lives that would stop Jesus Christ from loving us. I just, I'll tell you what, that fills my cup. Okay. Now, there's a second reason I love it. Jesus shows you and me how to respond to every person who's far from God, every person who is living as sinful a life as possible. No turning away in disgust, no avoiding, no condemning, none of that. The very opposite. I just love this. I mean, think of it this way, everybody. Every well that we're sitting by, it could be the neighborhood we live in, it could be the people we work with, it could be the people we go to school with, it could be the person who cuts your hair, and maybe they're talking about things that are so far from God and so immoral, but you know what? You know what? You're sitting at a well. And every person who comes for water. Every person who comes thirsty, you and I are to do what Jesus did. We're not the giver of living water, but we can tell others who is, and we can make them thirsty for it by genuinely and lovingly caring for them. You see, that's why it's so important that we're growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, because the more we're growing in that relationship, the more we become like Jesus Christ, and the more other people will want what we have. You know what, I, I, I want to add something to this, okay? I think it's so important for us. I, see, I think Jesus was very intentional here. I think Jesus knew that he knew, well, I know he knew about this woman. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus very intentionally sat down by that well at that place. He went out of his way to be in that well, to meet that woman. And the challenge for me and the challenge for all of us is to go out of our way and intentionally build relationships with people who have no relationship with Christ. You know, and, and so that we can, we can show them the water. We can show them the water. Which brings us to what Jesus said, to the conversation itself. Verse 10. Look at this. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Powerful words here in this sentence. What Christ said. In the gift of God. Who it is that asks you for, for a drink, living water? Right away, that, that brings into my mind what, what, what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave, 
gave the gift, gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Living water. For the, and, then, and, and then what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Look at her response. Verse 11, verse 12. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? I mean, those, those are the best questions she could ask. She's, she's saying, how can you do this? How can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? You know what she was really asking? She's asking what we're asking in this series. Who is Jesus Christ? Who are you? That's what she's saying. To which Jesus answered, pointing to the well. In verse 13, Jesus answered, look at this statement. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Thirsty again. You know, that's the thing about water, right? Um, you drink some on a really hot day, and if you're doing a lot of physical activity, like I'm doing right now, and what happens? Hot day, um, you're really exerting yourself. You gotta have another drink in a little while, right? I mean, it's like over and over and over again. You just, you gotta keep satisfying that thirst. It's like you can't get enough. You see, if there was ever a time and a place when it was easy to understand that water's a metaphor for life itself, Jesus and this woman lived in it. See, you and I, with little effort, can get a glass of water anytime we want it. Not so back then. No kitchen sinks with running water. No fountains in public places. Only wells, and not a lot of them. And this true in the Near East, where there, there's, it's always tended toward desert-like conditions. Thirsty again, Jesus said. Thirsty again much shorter version of what Pascal said, pointing to the same truth. There's a, there's a thirst in all of us that can't be satisfied with anything that you and I find in time and space. See, i, I, I got to bring this quote up in front of you again. I think it's so good. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a, a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. And this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since his infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. You know what I wonder? I wonder if this woman who was so privileged to have this conversation with the Son of God herself. I mean, just imagine that. Sitting at a well and you're talking to the Son of God, the creator of the universe. <laughs> that blows me away. I wonder if she knew. I wonder if she knew what God said to the Old, prophet, Old Testament prophet 
Jeremiah about the nation of Israel. You know, if she, if she, if she knew that scripture, it helps me understand why she so quickly understood what Jesus was talking about and she so readily accepted it for herself. Here's, here's what God said about the nation of Israel. It's so powerful and it can apply to any one of us. It's, it's very personal. Listen to this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yeah, they're not gods at all. <laughs> but my people have exchanged their glory, their God, for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, growing up on a farm, you're going to love this one because it's going to show how old I really am. Uh, we had a cistern in the basement of our house. We really did. It was large, and it took up one whole room of our basement. In fact, Beck and I had a little debate on this one because I, I was telling somebody about this, and I was going, I mean, it was huge, and it was a big room. And Becky said, you know what, Steve? We tend to see things a lot bigger when we're kids, you know, and... And I said, well, you're wrong. It was big, okay? It was huge, enormous, okay? And, and, and the thing about it, it was made of wood. And I think it was like vertical pieces of wood that were attached together. And then surrounding them, there were three white, like, bands of, of metal that, that held it all together. Now, every summer then, all summer long, it collected rainwater from the gutters around our house. And, and boy, it's funny having, I have one person nodding their head. They understand what I'm talking about. Any, anybody else ever seen? And, and, and as that water, it all went into one downspout that ran into that cistern. Now, I got to tell you, as a kid, I never thought about it. But looking back, I realized how easily our whole basement could have flooded from this cistern. Yeah? One splinter of wood, just one little bit of it coming apart. And it could have been like, whoosh, you know, the whole basement just flooded with water from that enormous cistern in our, in our basement. Okay. Now listen. A well in the Near East where, when Jesus lived, and, and it's still true today, was actually a cistern dug in the ground. And it collected water from the ground around it, or directly from the rain when it was raining. It would just pour into that. But if it didn't rain for a long time, the well would go dry, just like ours did. By, by the time we finished winter, it was all dry and done and waiting for spring again. There's all the difference in the world between a cistern you build yourself and a, and, a, and a spring that you do nothing to create. One way or another, a cistern always goes dry, but a spring, a spring keeps on producing water. Now, <laughs> two months ago, Becky and I were wondering if we had a spring under our house. I mean, seriously, Here, here's how it happened. Uh, I'm home on Fridays, my day off, the doorbell rings, and it's my next door neighbor, John. And, and John says to me, um, Steve, I think you got a problem. And what? He said, well, let me show you. He took me down to the end of our driveway, and, and about this wide, okay, about this wide, you could see water running out the end of our driveway 
and down. And he said, man, I've been watching this thing for like three, four weeks now, and it just keeps on running. I go, really? I never noticed. I don't notice things like that. And, and he said, yeah, he said, you know what? I think you better call MUD. You better call the city because you might have like a broken, you know, water main, sewer line, some, you know, and, 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 and he, so I did. I called them up and they, they were there within hours. I was surprised. And they're looking at it. They're both like my age. And so they've been around for a while. And, and, um, uh, <laughs> One guy, they did all the testing, okay, they, with all of the stuff they got, they said, no, you don't have any broken, broken water lines, but you know what? They said, you know what? When ha this, this area where this house is built, where your house is, he said, I remember when they first started building houses here, there's a spring underground. There's an underground spring, and they, they tried to fill, they filled it in with dirt so they could build houses on top of it. He said, I don't know. He said, I think you got a big problem. Uh, I, I think that spring is, you know, it's, it's loose again. So, you know what? If you're, if you're ever watching the local news, and you hear something about a house in a sinkhole, and you haven't seen me lately, you know, <laughs> Um, okay, I think it's okay. We're fine. It's not running all the time. So, uh, too long a story. Okay, now, now listen to this, everybody. Okay, here's the point. Okay, the Israelites, God's describing through Jeremiah, were creating their own cisterns, spiritual cisterns. They rejected God who describes himself as a spring of living water. They created their own cisterns, spiritual cisterns, cisterns that were broken and incapable of providing the spiritual water they needed to satisfy the thirst in their souls. And now hundreds of years later, Jesus is sitting at a well and he points to himself as the source of living water. Water he describes as a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now here's what's so important to know about this. We tend to think of eternal life that goes on forever. Which it does. But to think of endless life is not the most important thing to think about eternal life. It's far better, it's more accurate to think of it as a new quality of life that begins now the moment a person drinks it and the quality it has, everything about it quenches the thirst of our soul. It brings total and lasting satisfaction. It never stops. See, I'm convinced that when Jesus said what he did to this woman. He was saying it to someone who could be living in the 21st century, doing what a lot of people are doing today. You might be doing it yourself. Any one of us could be doing it. When she wasn't finding lasting satisfaction in what she thought would give it what she needed, when her thirst wasn't satisfied, she blamed the things she tried to find satisfaction in. And like some people do today, she blamed the person she was married to. Five times she did this, and now she's on a sixth guy, only this time she skipped marriage. They're just living together. How do I know this? Well, it's in the conversation Jesus had with her. When she asked him for the water, he offered, look at this, verse 15. I love this. This is great. Jesus answered, uh, I mean, verse 15. The woman said to him, 
Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's getting it. She's getting it. And then I love this. He told her. <laughs> I bet he said this with a smile on his face. Just like a, I bet it was the most warm-hearted, uh, disarming smile anybody could possibly have. He said to her, he said, I love it. He said, go, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, and I bet he said it with just that big smile, not, not to put her on the guard, you know, or on the spot, just, just to totally disarming. Jesus said to her, you know what, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is really true. <laughs> That's sweet. I, I really, it just, I think it's great. Now, this do not miss, okay? This do not miss. Doesn't matter what it is. Like this woman, it could be the person you're married to. It could be your job. It could be the house you live in. It could be any one of your possessions. It could be money in the bank. It could be stock you own. It could be investments you've made. It could be the latest and greatest thing that's giving you pleasure right now. It could be the lifestyle you've, you've chosen. Friend, look to anyone or anything to quench your thirst, and the thirstier you'll get. It's like drinking pancake syrup instead of drinking water. You see, if you think about it, what Jesus said to this woman only makes sense. The one who created us, who not only created us, but became one with us so he could die for us so that we could have God's forgiveness and eternal life. It only makes sense that he'd know and he'd want what's best for all of us. So it's true. There's a sweet and satisfying joy that only comes by living in relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the giver of living water. My goodness, he's the spring of living water. Total satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. Drink the water he offers, and I can guarantee you, you'll be satisfied forever, ever. This morning, we have a great privilege. We have the privilege to celebrate with Penny Waugh and Dale Becker. And I just love Penny's small group is sitting here in the front row to watch this. And we're just going to celebrate with them because they drank the water. Okay? They drank the water.